0: now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you
1: well good morning is it morning it's just morning it's great to see everyone here i'm surprised not to see more of you running the the winchester half marathon you thought it'd be a better time to come here and sit in church (laughs) I ran it last year and it was horrible, absolutely horrible, and I'm not going to do it for a while again. And it's also raining, so it doesn't help, does it? As as Sue has said already, that um, we've been looking at the Beatitudes for the last few weeks, and we will continue to do that for the next few months as Simon the new vicar arrives in about two weeks' time. Is that right, Sue? It's about two weeks' time. Simon arrives, the new vicar of this church, and he is going to lead us through the the rest of the Beatitudes and as Sue has said already we're in this introductory phase um, before we get into the into the meat into the heart of Matthew 5 and what the Beatitudes are really all about but I love these verses because it's this kind of upside down kingdom the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world the Beatitudes in themselves in very nature are, are countercultural. blessed are the meek Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness. That is not what the world teaches. The world does not teach us to be meek, to be poor, to be persecuted. The world teaches us actually quite the opposite. And Jesus' kingdom is this upside-down kingdom of of doing things in a different way. And I I love that about Jesus. As we come to Matthew 4.0, verses 18 through to 22 which I'll read in a moment I love that that Jesus doesn't call the people that we expect that he would call he doesn't go to the intelligent he doesn't go to the gifted ones he doesn't go to the people that have it all together he goes to a bunch of fishermen on a beach and he calls them he calls them to come and to follow me I love that about Jesus. I love that it's countercultural. I love that it's not what the world would do because the kingdom of God is quite different. So I'm going to show us a video clip, Tansy, if we could put the video clip up of what I think I'm going to be speaking of this morning about empowerment and how we are called to go and to empower other people. What does empowerment look like? If we could show the video, Tansy, thank you.
0: How dangerous this is, do you? Don't stand there crying. Just nod your head and tell me you won't do it again. Now dry up and get back to work. Dr. Blair, Dr. Blair, Dr. Sherwood Blair. Hey, hey, Are you okay? He told me to pick up the blood, so I did, but he never told me to lay with Hey, it's okay. Stop crying. What's your name? Brenda. Brenda. Brenda, I wouldn't worry about it, you know? These doctors, you know, they don't know everything.
1: It's my first week. I think they're gonna fire me.
0: No, no, nobody's gonna fire you, Brenda. I bet you're good at your job. No, I'm not. Yeah, I bet if I asked you to check on the status of my friend Lance Applebaum, that you could do that for me in a second.
1: Nurse Fitzsimmons to recovery. Nurse Fitzsimmons to recovery.
0: Um, Mr. Applebaum fractured his ankle. Dr. Ashland is treating him in exam room 7. You see that? No problem.
1: Who's, uh, who's seen this film? Catch me if you can. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to, to watch it. But this is what empowerment looks like. And, and as as we're looking through Matthew 4... Um, 18 to 22 I would say that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of empowerment that Jesus calls his disciples to empower them to go and to do the ministry that he has placed on their hearts that he has called them to do and likewise Jesus for us today as disciples of Christ has called us has empowered us has equipped us to go and to do the ministry that he has called us to do I'm going to be uh, flicking through a few verses in Scripture, in Matthew, particularly um, in a moment. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open them up to Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to go to Matthew 14 in a minute. So I'll just give you a couple of moments just to grab a Bible if you haven't already got one. Great, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So this is the story of of Jesus calling his first disciples or his first apprentices. And Jesus being a rabbi, when a rabbi would do this, it's saying a few things. As a rabbi would call disciples or apprentices, it would say a few things. First it says, I want you to come and to be with me as a rabbi. I want you to become like me as a rabbi, and I want you to go and to do the things that I do. I want you to be with me, to become like me, and to go and to do the things that I do. That's what a rabbi is basically saying to disciples. For us as disciples of Christ, 2,000 years later, Jesus says the same thing. He wants us to come and to be with him, to become like him, to imitate him, and to go and to do the things that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And that that part of our faith is is Matthew 28. That's the Great Commission. That's the practical outworkings of our faith. What does it mean to put this into practice? And, And we should all be about that. It's not just faith in us. It's also an outworking of that faith. To be with me, to become like me, and to do the things that I have called you to go and do. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see that God takes ordinary people. We see this in the Old Testament. He does it with Abraham. He calls Abraham a man that was just going along with life. He, he was doing okay. But he calls Abraham where he is at that time. And he gives him a mission. He gives him something to do. The same throughout the whole of the Old Testament. David, King David, as we know, David was a shepherd boy in the field, tending to sheep. And God says, David, you might not be that special in the world's eyes, but actually I'm going to use you to do something great for my kingdom. You've been chosen by me. You've been anointed by God. David goes on and, as we know, does does great things for God. He messes up along the way, but God loves him and God uses him. We see this also in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Apostle Paul, James, Peter. God takes ordinary people. And because God is with them, he does extraordinary things through them. You see, God sees their potential. Now normally, if you're looking for someone to to call, to equip, to to pass on what you do best, then you're going to look for the best people, aren't you? Doesn't that make sense in the world's eyes? You're going to look for people that are gifted, that have it all together. You're going to go to Oxford or Cambridge. You're going to go to the theological college. You're going to go to the seminary. You're going to go to Wall Street. You're going to go to the city of London. You're going to go to the bankers, the investors, the people that have a lot of money. You're going to go to people that have it together, that are the best of the best. That's what the world teaches. And you know what I love about this is that because Jesus is not like the rest of the world, because he's God, because he does things differently, he's countercultural. he goes to a bunch of fishermen on a beach, most probably illiterate, most probably, they think, between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. Peter, they reckon, uh, scholars would say, is slightly older, but most of the disciples are between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. And Jesus calls these young men who don't have much going for them and says, come and follow me. And I want you to be like me, to be a rabbi like me, to come and be with me, to believe and to become like me and to do the things that I've done. That's what Jesus is saying. When I read the Bible, and I don't know if you do this, but I personally love to put myself into the text, into the, into the Word of God. What, what is it saying in this context? And and as I was going into this text of Jesus on the beach calling these disciples, I thought, well, what beach do I know where there's fishermen? And uh, my grandfather has a place in um, a Kent, a holiday home in Kent, a place called Littlestone. And down the road from Littlestone is a place called Dungeness. And some of you, I'm seeing some nods in the room, some of you might know Dungeness. Dungeness, I hope no one here is from Dungeness, but Dungeness is a dump. <laughs> Dungeness is it's an interesting place. I love it because I grew up going to Dungeness. But little fact for you, it's the largest deposit, deposit of shingle in the whole of Europe. But Dungeness is an interesting place. There's a, there's a power station. You go for fish and chips at Dungeness and the fish are double the size you would get anywhere else because there's a power station there. But it's a funny place. And I imagine Jesus on the beach at Dungeness calling a bunch of fishermen coming in at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not where the world would go. It's not where you would go if you were hoping to get someone who who you thought was going to prosper, that was going to do you well. And yeah, I love this about Jesus. I love that Jesus does things differently. I love that Jesus calls people that the world would not expect. Jesus is saying to these guys that, that I have faith in you. And Jesus has faith in them before they have faith in Jesus, most probably. Jesus is saying, I believe in you, probably before they've believed in themselves. Jesus calls these guys to come and to follow him. Jesus sees their potential. He sees their potential. He sees that there's something different in them, that they've got something. And he sees their true self. And for those of us in this room that have a close relationship with Jesus, and I hope that's most of us, I hope that's all of us. Actually, we know that, that it's only Jesus that sees our true self. It's only Jesus that truly knows us, that, that knows what makes us tick, that, that knows what angers us, that what annoys us. He knows what, what makes us happy. He knows everything. And he calls these disciples, despite the fact they haven't got it all together, and he says, come and follow me. And then he says to them, I want you to go and fish for people. That's one translation of what is said. And this term, fish for people, that we see in Matthew 4, um, is a term 2,000 years ago in Greek that basically means to become a great teacher. So Jesus is saying to these most probably illiterate 14 to 20-year-old fishermen, I'm going to make you guys become a great teacher like me. Now, we've got to understand that 2,000 years ago, that was really good news. That meant a huge amount to these guys. And have you ever wondered why they just leave everything to come and follow Jesus? Who who is this man? Rabbi coming to the beach, they've got their family business, they've got their boats, their nets, they've got their money. Jesus says, come follow me, and they leave. It's because it's good news. Jesus says, I'm going to make you into a great teacher like me. And they jump at it. You see, Jesus sees that they have potential. He sees that there's something different about these guys. And as we know, in the life of Peter, and we're going to touch on the life of Peter a little bit as we go through some of these verses, that Peter was a man who in Acts chapter 2 preached in front of 3,000 people and they came to faith. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals the sick. He casts out demons. He does many things in the name of Jesus. But Peter doesn't just get to that place overnight where he's preaching to 3,000 people and what he says actually makes a difference. This is a process. But it wouldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't seen something in him that was different, something in him that had potential. And Jesus calls that out and he takes these disciples on an incredible journey that's what the first thing i want to say about what it means to to be empowered to go and empower other people as we as disciples of christ are called is that empowerment is seeing someone's potential it's seeing someone's potential maybe you have someone in your life at the moment who who you can see potential maybe there's someone a family member a friend that you think, oh, if only they could realize their potential. And what I'd like to encourage you this week around this whole thing of empowerment is is to empower that person, to pray for them, to give them a platform, to encourage them, to empower them to do the things that maybe God has called them to do. I'd love to see this church as a culture of empowerment, that we empower um, everyone young people, old people, middle-aged people, people in work, people who are retired, that we are a culture, a church of empowerment. That's what I'd love to see. So if there's someone in your life at the moment that you need to encourage, to empower, I'd, I'd urge you to do that. That's my first point. Encouragement, empowerment is about seeing someone's potential. The second thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 14. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew 14. We're going to look at Matthew 14. And this, again, is Peter. I absolutely love this story. And just to give you a bit of context, Jesus has been doing a lot of ministry with his disciples. His disciples have watched what he's doing. They've been with him the whole time. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him raise people from the dead. Matthew 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches. They've seen all of this stuff from chapter 4 all the way through to chapter 9 and then we come to chapter 14 Jesus has just got these disciples to go in a boat and to go to the other side of the lake because they're tired from verse 22 this is what it says Matthew 14:22 Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd after he dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray Just a side note on that point before I move on. Where does Jesus go when he's tired? He goes to pray. How many of us, when we're tired, we we don't go to God to pray? We go to the TV or we go to something maybe that is not the most constructive use of our time. Jesus goes to pray. I think maybe that's a word for for some of us here this morning, that, that when we're tired, we need to go to God. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, You are the Son of God. The reason I bring this passage up is, as I read this this last week, on on the calling of Peter and the progress that Peter made after Jesus saw his potential, after he called him, saw that potential and used him for great things. This story in Matthew 14, verse 22, has been something that I've looked at and I've been to theological college. I've looked at it in a negative way. You see, I've seen that this is a, an angry Jesus. Why did you doubt? Why did you have little faith? Why didn't you trust in me, Peter? That this is a condescending voice of God saying, why are you doing this if you can't get it right? How can I trust you? That's the way that I've read it in the past. And, and that's contradictory to, to my faith and what I think of Jesus. And then this last week, as I was reading this, I came across a man called Dallas Willard. And uh, I'm just going to read the quote to you now. Tansy, is it all right to get the quote up on the screen? There's a few words in here that I will struggle to say, but I'll give it a go. Dallas says in his quote, Jesus probably invented the term oligopistoi, little faiths, which would have had a comic tinge to the ears of his hearers. Oligopistoi, little faiths, seems to have been a nickname that he invented as a way of gently chiding his apprentices, for their lack of confidence, of in God, and in Himself, I love that. You see, this story now makes sense. Jesus is not saying, "Why did you doubt? You have little faith." In an angry way, that someone would say it, he's saying, "Ah, oh, little faith. Try again." Well done for trying. You see, I think empowerment, when we are called and empowered, empowerment sometimes means taking a risk for Jesus. It means taking a risk. It means standing out on a limb for God. You know, and that limb might fall off. And I love that Peter, at this point, he sees Jesus walking on the water. And everything in Peter's life up until this point has told him, you don't walk on water, it's impossible. And it's a huge, huge storm. You don't walk on water. And yet Peter sees his Lord, and because he has faith in Jesus, because he trusts him, he jumps out of this boat. Try and put yourself into the story. It's an incredible thing. And Jesus walks towards Jesus. But as soon as he takes his eyes off his Lord, he starts to sink. And Jesus picks him up. I can't imagine what Jesus did at that point. Did he pick him up and throw him back into the boat? Or did he climb up the boat with Peter on his but? I don't know. It's quite an interesting story if you put yourself into it. But the fact is that Peter, at this point, is a hero of the faith. Peter started out as a fisherman who didn't have much going for him in Matthew 4. And by Matthew 14, just 10 chapters later, this man is taking a step on the water. An impossible thing because he sees Jesus doing it. You know, that's progress. Taking a step of faith. Time and time again in Scripture, in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, We see people stepping out on a limb and taking a risk for God. And when they do, amazing things happen. Empowerment is about taking a risk. Maybe for some of us this morning, there's a risk that we need to take. Maybe there's something that God is speaking to us about that that we haven't done Maybe we're scared, maybe we're worried that if we do, then we'll mess up. Maybe you hear that condescending voice of God saying, why did you doubt? Why did you have no faith? But actually, it's a voice of God, of Jesus saying, try again. Give it another go. It's not over. Peter, I'm proud that you tried. I'm proud that you took a step out, that you took a leap of faith. Do it again. That's what it means to be empowered. To be a part of a culture of empowerment. Being called, being empowered to go and empower other people. There's a few things, just as I close, that I want to look at practically. How do we put this into practice? And the age-old question of, well, how do we hear God's voice? And how do we know that God is speaking? I think I'm probably amongst people that that know their bible quite well i would say but we could know more and it's not just about knowledge it's about coming to love the word of god and and being spoken to by god through the word not for an academic point but about listening to what god is saying the first thing i would say that we can do practically is to hear and obey hear the word of god and obey what it says and i think we need to start with scripture How much do we read Scripture? How much do I read Scripture? In my personal quiet time. Do we listen to what God is saying to us in the word that he has already given? And do we obey that word? Do we put it into practice? Or do we pass it by? Practically, hear and obey. Number two practice with the small things and I would say that like it is with new year's resolutions how many of us we get to new year maybe not so much in this room but we get to the new year and we think well I'm going to achieve 10 things in 2019 and the week has gone and we've quit and we've finished and it hasn't worked and we're discouraged and we try and do it again why don't we try starting with something small? And, and if you do struggle to read your Bible, if you struggle to spend time with God, then start with five minutes. Start with a small amount and, and build it up. Don't say, well, every day I'm going to spend an hour with God and, and that's going to be great, because that, that will be hard to do after not having done it. Start with the small things. Maybe you could try fasting I've been challenged the last few weeks um, about fasting. And it's something that I don't do very much. I have done it in the past. Um, But fasting, I think the point is not to lose weight. The point is not to make yourself look better, although I could do with that. The point of fasting is to show God that you're serious about something that you're praying for. And to say to God, you know what, God? This means a lot to me, so I'm actually going to give something up to show you that I'm serious about what it is I'm praying about. Maybe try fasting. Maybe don't start by fasting for 40 days uh, like Jesus did. (laughs) Maybe start by fasting one day or one meal and praying. Fasting is an incredible thing, and I think we don't do it that much. We should do it more, and we should learn from other traditions in that, I think, as well. Maybe start by giving a little bit of money away, If money is an idol in our life, if it's a thing that holds us back from worship, from following God, then maybe start by giving something small away. Five pounds a month, whatever. It's about our hearts behind it. Start with the small things. Number three, release other people to go and to do what Jesus has called you to do. Empowerment. Empower other people. See, what I think this means is, is taking someone under your wing that, that you can empower, that you can impart some wisdom to. Maybe that's someone that's younger. And I said that at the 930 service, if you're 30 years of age, there may be mentor someone who's 20 years old. If you're 40, maybe someone who's 30. If you're 50, maybe someone who's 40. If you're 60, maybe someone who's 50. If you're 70, 60. If you're 80, 70. You see where I'm going with this? I think the point is that, that we're bringing people alongside us and that we are empowering other people in the calling that God has put on their lives to help them flourish, to help them get closer to God. And I would love to be a part, and, and we do that a lot in this church already, but I would love to be a part of a church that has this culture of empowerment. And one thing I'm really encouraged by is uh, Lunch Club, which is the monthly Wednesday um, meeting that we have um, here in the church called Lunch Club. And many of us probably go to that here. But the idea is that Lunch Club is going to partner with a new student um, mission called Hive, which is a coffee shop for students to come into. Um, And there will be some crossover with Lunch Club and with the students. And that is a great way to take someone who's younger than you under your wing and to say to them, look, come around for lunch. Let me impart some wisdom to you. Let's read the Bible together. Let's have a relationship. I think the kingdom of God looks like multi-generational people getting together and sharing wisdom with one another. Are we currently doing that? Maybe we are. And if we're not, I would challenge you Come and speak to Sue or myself, and and we'll point you in a direction of people that you can do that with. A culture of empowerment. Jesus calls us to go and to empower other people. Maybe there's something this morning that I've said that you feel challenged in. Maybe Um, it was just a side note on something that you would like to read more of your Bible, or maybe you'd like to spend more time with Jesus, I'd encourage us as the band come up to play that, that we would just stretch out our hands and be willing to receive from God, from the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Maybe you would like to mentor someone, but, but you're struggling to, to put yourself out there and to, to ask someone. Maybe you need the courage and the, the faith to step into that, that God might be calling you to do. So I'd ask us just to put our hands out to receive. And before we worship, I'm going to pray. God, thank you that we are a church of many services, of many generations, of young and old and in between. Lord, thank you that 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 is the nature of this church. Lord, thank you for how you have been with this church. Lord, I pray particularly for this area of empowerment and and seeing potential as you saw the potential in us when you first called us Lord, i pray that you would help us to see that potential that that thing that spark inside other people Lord, i pray that you would help us to take that step of faith like peter did when he walked on the water eyes focused on you Pray that you would challenge us, Holy Spirit, this week as we go about our week, as we meet with people. Empower us, Lord, to be carriers of your good news, of your message. Help us to live out Matthew 28, Lord, the Great Commission. Lord Jesus, unless we have your power, unless we have your Holy Spirit, then we might as well go home. For come Holy Spirit. Fill each and every one of us here. Amen.